Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael and we're here today for sort of a bonus episode of the Sample Adventures. This is going to be part of our Tunnels Tomb Temple Temples and Tombs. That's what I'm talking about. Uh Sample Adventure that we ran a few weeks ago. The audio only version will be coming out soon. This will be a part of that. So for this episode, we're actually talking to the GM of our session, as well as the designer of the game himself, Christopher Gray. Chris, say hello to everyone. Hello. Hi, everybody. So as I mentioned before we start recording, this is a very new type of show. This particular element is also brand new. So we're kind of figuring things out as we go along. But mostly what we're interested in when we have these sample adventure shows is one, to have fun, because that's always our number one goal for everything is just have a good time. And then secondly, we want to kind of figure out if the sample adventure included in the game book or the setting book or the source book does a good job of presenting to the audience, the game remaster and the players, what that game is about or and or what that setting system tone theme of that game is about. So this is the first time I've got to interview the designer of the game and have the sample adventure. So let's just start with what is the name of the sample adventure that you ran for? So let's even start with that. Talk a little bit about the game itself. We'll start with that. So what is your game? Where did it come from? What is it a love letter to? All that good stuff. Yeah, great. Uh, so Temples and Tombs is a year zero engine game. Um, from my understanding, it was the first one done outside of Free League when after they released the SRD, which means I'm using Free League game rules, but my own game uh, based on those rules. And uh, it's it's a game that's really, yeah, it's a love letter to Indiana Jones movies, essentially. Um, so there's a, you know, there's the real, there's there's Pulp Fiction as a genre, but this is Pulp Fiction as imagined by George Lucas, <laughs> if we had to pinpoint it. So we're talking, you know, uh, uh, he- heroes that get knocked down a lot, but stand back up again. And they're, um, and they're confronting, you know, uh, any myriad of 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 everything from punching Nazis to you know supernatural and gods descending and everything else. So it's action adventure pulp essentially. Okay. And again, this is uh, Temples and Tombs. Yeah. Uh, it was published by Gallant Night Games. It's still available in print. I believe it's also on Drive Through RPG for PDF versions. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Gallant Knight has uh, published it, and actually, Gallant Knight's been publishing almost all my games. So uh, very good people. Very good high quality products. So. Uh, yep, temples and tombs, and then the te- the adventure that I ran was one of three that are, that's in the core book. I was originally going to run one, but after I heard what characters you were making, I'm like, oh, well, they're probably not going to be very good at this. Let me run this other one instead. <laughs> and, and that's one of the things that I I liked about the game is that there actually are options to choose from based on the character sets. But the one that I ran was Temple of the Feather of Mott, which was basically a um, you know, an Egyptian themed romp. Mm-hmm. So you're again, and with some of this, because if anyone's listening to this, I assume they've listened to the actual play, which I'm just now starting to edit. So it'll probably be a few weeks before this comes out, but they will have heard the adventure that we played through, but it very clearly is a love letter to the movies. Like you said, like Indiana Jones, uh, you know, we're pulp adventurers, you know, and like, you know, those types of things. So when you sat down to write an adventure, that would be an, a sample adventure. Like, what was the first thing you thought of? Was it, did you just have, like, this will be a fun game, this will be a cool game, or were you consciously thinking, I need to teach the game to the audience? I need to show them what the type of 
themes and you know the feeling that this type of game should evoke like what were you thinking about big picture I, my thinking was about creating adventures that capture the experience that people are likely looking for in this game because okay. um, pulp can go in any number of directions and i know based on the marketing and based on how it was built and designed you're, you're probably going to play this game because you want uh, to play Indiana Jones, right? <laughs> or yeah. or maybe the Lost World or something like that. And so I, I had to have, okay, so I needed a dinosaur adventure and I have that. Um, and I needed a, you know, sort of Egyptian Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of thing. And so that, that was, I was really thinking genre and, and trappings mm-hmm. because I, I knew this is what people are going to expect when they play the game. Okay. So when you start to lay out the adventure, and I assume, you know, most adventures are laid out kind of the same way. You have your, uh, you know, you kick off what you're supposed to do. If as a MacGuffin or whatever, you probably have an NPC quest giver of some sort. It could be flavored and themed and whatever, but it's, it's basically how it goes. And then you have a few different places that you visit. You know, usually you don't go straight to where things are. You got to go to a place to find a thing, to go another place to find a thing. And then you might find the place you need to go to. Then you have your big set piece battle at the end where you hopefully get the thing or not. And then you kind of have your resolution. That's, that's very, very simple how almost every adventure is going to work no matter what the, the genre. But were there anything that you're like, okay, I need to front load this experience or this thing. And again, you ran the game, so I, I didn't read it. Are there like rule explanations as well? Like here's how you do X, Y, or Z? Uh, the, uh, the, the adventure campaigns are in the book are designed off of the GM section rules on creating your own campaigns. Okay. So I had to stick to the rules in the book that were already laid out and, 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 the, and it's, it's pretty systematic, but it definitely does what you just described. So in, in the campaign design section, you have to create uh, first of all, MacGuffin, you have to decide what it is that you're going to find or you need to get or save or rescue. And there's actually tables in the book where you can just randomly roll a MacGuffin, which I think is kind of fun. You have to also decide what the, uh, the journey looks like. Cause there should be based on the length of the campaign, two, three places you have to go before you find where the MacGuffin is mm-hmm. for reasons. You have to figure out what the threats are, who else is after the MacGuffin. And then you have to figure out, you know, where, what I call it, what the, what's the cave or the dungeon? Where, where do you end up uh, to get the MacGuffin? And what does the final conflict look like? So there's actually a system in the game on doing that. And there are, are random tables to help you randomly determine. And so you could, ra- you could randomly roll on your, uh, uh, as you're making the campaign and say, oh, I'm getting this object. These are the people that are after it. This is why. This is where it's located. And here's, here's, here's the outcome. And you actually can randomly roll that entire thing. If okay. You so that's how I designed it. I designed it by those rules. Um, but knowing I wanted to do something Egyptian, um, I wanted to do something dinosaurs. And then I sourced Stacey Delaforno to do uh, one of their choosing, which was um, this, this really wild Shakespearean themed romp. So, so there's a nice eclectic mix of genre and setting that you can choose from. Okay. And again, and so you do have three sample adventures included in the core book, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. One so of them again, is. So the one that we played, so, so we started off with um, what you call the co- cold open. Now, is that a mechanic in the system or was that just a way that you used to sort of open up a story that you're telling? Yeah, that's a mechanic in the system. Uh, you are, and it's designed to spend the first part of the adventure testing your character out so you get a test of you get an idea who your character is and and there are specific rules to it the the first is that uh you you know it has to open in media res 
after something horrible went wrong <laughs> and, and you start there. And then, uh, and then you ask prompting questions as a GM to find out about more about what happened and give free narrative control to the players. That way they can kind of test drive their characters without, you know, without worrying about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other rules is that whatever the MacGuffin is in that cold open has to be lost at the end of it. And, and it's just sort of playing homage to the genre. Okay. You never actually get the thing you're supposed to go get. <laughs> it does feel very pulp actiony in that case. So you start with a cold open. So, and, and again, that's a, a rule of the system, but it's included in your sample adventure. So it doesn't have any of the trappings that the adventure has. It just says, ask these questions and sort of get a feel for the characters to, to drive. Yeah, um, there is a, there's a suggested cold open for the adventure so that you get used to whoever your organization is. Okay. So in the core adventure, like, you know, if you're running this adventure, here's, a, here's an example cold open with a, a example prompts that you can run. And I actually did use those in your case. Okay. Um, and then, so from that point, we get moved into essentially our quest giver, uh, which I assume is part of the adventure as written. In our case, it was uh, like the leader of like a museum of antiquities. We sort of like, we were hired by them either directly or, you know, sort of, sort of a situation where we report to them and they give us our MacGuffin and get us on the trail. I don't remember, were there multiple places that we could have gone that first time? Like, is it like a choose your own first place to go? We all know it's not going to be the right place, but, or, cause I can't remember, or was it like we knew we had to go to one place and that place would diverge? Yeah, it's pretty clear the first place that you need to go in this adventure, actually. And in the structure of things, you always have the, okay, you have to go find out the clues and we know the clues are here. Uh, and in the case of the feather of Mott, you know, we knew that the, 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 we're going to, the last place the feather was, was in Istanbul. Constantinople. And, and so you kind of, that was where your starting point, but then you're going to find the clues from there. So, you know, in, in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark is Cairo and, you know, Romancing the Stone. I don't remember Romancing the Stone, but anyway, they all have that kind of moment where you go quest giver, which in the game is called the call to adventure. This is the, the person that you trust that tells you what's going on. This is your Marcus Brody and you have to go do the thing. And, and here's, here's my limited amount of information. Um, and then from there, you go to the first part of your journey, which is to collect your clues. In a short game, you're really not going to have very many points in the journey, but you can, in a campaign, have many, many points in your journey. Mm. So it feels to me, and as the outsider who played the game but doesn't know what you were doing behind the screen, that the sample adventure was much more designed to show us the, the formula of what the pulp action adventure story should be like with the tropes more so than teaching the rules. Is that accurate or was it just, or not? Yeah, that's totally accurate. Um, there's an assumption with this particular game that, that the, if you're playing it, you're probably some t- somewhat familiar with year zero mm-hmm. um, and you've already read the rules. So you sort of know how they've been adapted. And so this is more about understanding the genre and, and the, the trappings because the whole point of this game is to play that genre and so, I mean, you can play year zero any number of ways, but right. if you're playing it for this, this is the structure for that. Okay. And again, the, the rules pretty simple. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure there's more complexities that you can pull in, but essentially you're going to make a check that based off of your abilities, there's like, I think there's abilities and there's like sub abilities. I'm not sure what the terms are, but like, like I might have uh brawn and beneath that fighting. So if I'm doing something, lifting something, it would be the major brawn. If I'm doing something fighting, it'd be the minor. 
it gives you a total number of dice you're going to roll. And as long as you get at least one six, you succeed. That's, that's the very basic rules of how the game system works. You only ever need one success, right? Right. Right. And there's variance on top of that, which is the luck mechanic. And, um, and it, people who are familiar with year zero will recognize that mechanic as stress from alien. And it's one that's being put in the more and more year zero games, mm-hmm. um, where if you run out of luck, you, you, you bust, you take a condition, you know, something goes wrong. Um, but then there's, uh, there's also a hero die so that you can balance that with, uh, with extraordinary things that happen, you know, that, that moment in the movie where everything's gone wrong, but somehow this hero perseveres. Mm-hmm. So there, there's some the alien RPG it. was the one we did after yours it may uh, actually come out first because of other things going uh-huh. on but yes we're we're somewhat familiar with that one as well i'm sorry i interrupted you please continue no that's it as it that's all i wanted to say yeah the um so the mechanics are very simple they can get more complex on edge cases but but it's designed to make it so that edge cases are fluid you can just sort of figure it out by did you get a success it, ultimately mm-hmm. it was what it comes down to right so yeah the, the adventures are more about the setting and less about the rules which again is, is totally fine. Now you've you've published multiple games. Would you say that uh, this game is more or less complex in relation to the rule set than than the others, or would you say this one falls in your current library of games you've written? I, I typically, well, I typically use my own system, which has been cultivated over a series of games, um, which is a narrative first kind of system, and it's 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 very squishy in its game design because it doesn't care about hit points or even conditions or mechanical things like that. All it cares about is what is your motivation and uh, how did it play out in the narrative? And so it's, it's much more squishy. So, so compared to this, well, this is way more crunchy compared to the games that I normally run. Okay. And, and this is, and which is funny because your zero is not that crunchy. Like when you compare no, it to not. basically any other game, it's pretty right. rules like, but, but compared to my games, it's very, uh, very, I wouldn't say more complex, but it's much more structured and, and it's more systematized and, and there's, there's less room for interpretation. Right. And I guess I was trying to, trying to get us into a situation where, if you were going to write a sample adventure for a different game that is more crunchy, are there any different considerations that you might think of or want to include in a game, in an adventure where you are also teaching the rules? Because, you know, I don't care what the game is. I think there's some assumption that you've read the rules and you kind of know how to play, but it's also some of the other sample adventures we've checked out. It, it clearly says, like, here's your first combat. The first time you roll initiative, if that's a thing in your game, here's how you do it. And mm-hmm. then, okay, the first time you make an attack, here's how you, so it sort of like, you know, walks you through these elements of the game, which really weren't included in yours because it's not probably necessary. So I was just trying to get you to extrapolate on what you might do differently if you were writing a sample adventure for a game that might need some of that. Yeah, I could see a more complex game needing that, but I would want to structure it because I still am I'm much more setting trappings. What is the feel? What is the feel of this experience? more than I am, what are the rules? And that's just because that's my style. Sure. But if it was a more crunchy system, I would probably have one that's a tutorial, like you would get in like a video game that says, okay, you, you're in the dungeon, here's a rat, here's what you do about that, you know? And then, there's an, then there would be another adventure that's more about capturing the feel and tone of the game. I, I would probably structure it like that. What I tend to do is write very clear examples during the rules section. Mm-hmm. That that kind of play out a scenario using those rules for visual learners because I'm the same way. I'm really bad. I'll read a rule book. I have no idea how to play the game. Yeah. I have to actually play 
you know, by <laughs> solo to kind of figure out, oh, that's how this works. And even then, until I play the game and run it, I don't get it. So I put in very, very clear examples of how to play within the rule set, um, which might might solve that problem. I mean, maybe maybe uh, I haven't thought of that that through, but that's sort of how I typically address it. Mm-hmm. And that's again, just slight tangent. That's very similar to what I'm doing with my the game I'm currently working on, Action Twelve Cinema. That as I'm explaining the rules, I'm trying to put a this is like what it would look like in the actual game, but I kind of feel like there's some GMs who are going to read the rule book beginning to beginning to end. And there are others who are going to like skim that, go to the adventure, play the adventure, wanting to figure out as they go. So it's sort of a balancing act of, you know, you, you can do the best job in the world, but if the wrong person, the wrong top person is reading the rule book, all of that is wasted effort. So you sort of like have to figure out what's best for the most amount of people and then also cover the basis for those who are, you know, approach it differently. Like there's going to be some people who don't read the book at all, who just yeah. go to the adventure and hope that teaches them. And then you got people who will read the whole book and then you got people kind of in the middle, very obviously generalizing there a, a lot. But uh, so I'm basically just, I'm kind of running into the same problem as where do I spend my time? Where do I think it will be most valuable? And there's no sample adventure in my game because you can't really do that because it's a genius game about people making stuff up as they go. <laughs> So I'm trying to think, so, and again, I don't necessarily want to pad this out any longer than it needs to be, but I also want to give you full time to, to explain your process. So was there anything else that you think was, it would be important? Maybe someone who's listening, who's designing their own game, who's about to make up their own sample adventure for a different type of game, like any advice that you would share for that process? I think the uh, adventure in the core book has got to be the perfect example of a perfect game that you're going to play. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a like, especially when you get to like D and D modules and stuff. When you get, it, it, you have so many options of the kinds of games you can play. But it's really important, I think, as part of the process to understand what they're getting this game for, and then to to feed that monkey and make sure you have that those those boxes checked. Because if I put in an adventure in this game that didn't perfectly exemplify what the game's supposed to be all about, it would be a letdown. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, well, I didn't really want to play Indiana Jones four, you know, with aliens. I wanted to play, I wanted to play, you know, I wanted to, to I, I, I wanted rainforests and I wanted deserts and I wanted like, you know, Nazis. And so if those elements weren't included, you're going to be disappointed. And so that's, so there's going to be a lot more thinking about the audience than thinking about, you know, the kind of game you'd want to write. Right. So, you know, Gallant Man's Games published the game. It's out there. You've ran it for us. I'm, if, I'm sure you've ran it more times looking back on it, is there anything that you would have liked to have done differently? Like if you ever make a second edition or second version, are there any changes or tweaks you would have made to that adventure or the other two that are included? Well, I think I would have liked to have structured a better one shot. I think there's the, there's a, the, the dinosaur one, which is the, um, it has a complex, funny title. I should look it up. That one's really more one shotty um, because, uh, but the one I ran for you all really could have been four sessions and I had to cut a bunch out, you know, and that was, that was a little frustrating because um, I don't think I structured that well enough. So if I were doing this again, I'd want to have a clear, this is a one shot. This is a campaign. This is, you know, uh, something in between. And I didn't do that. The dinosaur one was the one I was going to run, but I was like, you are all a bunch of academics. What are you going to do with dinosaurs? Run away. (laughs) Yeah. It's not going to be a very exciting adventure. Yeah. And I do think that's a good, I mean, if you have the space in your book to include multiple sample adventures, because in my experience, most of them include one. Like yeah. I, th- I think yours is sort of the odd person out so far. You know, I've only looked at a few, but 
pretty much every one that we've looked at up till this point has included one sample adventure. You're, you've included three. I do think it makes sense to have a one shot version and then maybe a like two, three shot and then a campaign if you have the space in the book to do that sort of thing. And again, so our our challenge to you when we ask you to do this for us is we want to run these sample adventures as close to written as possible because we're, again, in addition to having fun, we're also trying to evaluate how good of a job it does. And mm-hmm. you as the game master, you could have made up anything you wanted. We would have had no idea that you weren't running it from the book, but that really would have, would have you know, fit the prompt that we gave you. So you did have to cut sections, but I think, as you said, what you ran, you ran as close to verbatim from the book as, you know, as possible. I did. Uh, What I did is I moved the last chapter to the middle point. There were two points in the journey. You you, you should have gone to from um, Istanbul to Greece or Crete, really. And then from Crete, you would have found out where the dungeon was, where the temple was. And then that would have taken you back to Thebes. Mm. Um, But I just put Thebes into Crete (laughs) and kind of skipped that journey because it, it just wasn't enough time, but the, the substance was still there. And, mm-hmm. and, the, and, the, um, and the as written as close to as possible was there. Um, it just was compressed. Right. And again, I, I felt that game did a good job of feeling like the type of thing that we were going for. I do really think, honestly, that the cold open helps with that because it almost gives us two full adventures. We, mm-hmm. we get to sort of have like this overview of something that happened that went wrong, but we get to you know see our characters doing this cool stuff. So we get all this information that it's, it's you know, it's like bullet points, but I think that's kind of natural for like game players. We, we fill those bullet points out in our head. Yeah. And even as the game was going on, I was sort of like still continuing to flesh out that first scene, even though it was completely kind of thrown away. So I do think that's a very valuable technique for this type of game. It, it almost makes it feel like we played two games when we really only played one. So I think that's a good, you know, good technique, even for, even if it's not part of the game, if you're a game master, just general advice, maybe start off a session with just like a 15 minute story time recap of, let's talk about the last adventure you went on, even if this is the first time you played. Um, because I think that's, and I'm getting way off topic here, but that's something that I found that when I start playing a game, I often haven't figured out my character yet. Yeah, like I have found your sea lakes. Yeah. 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 You know, I have them on paper, but how do I actually embody them at the table and giving me this thing that I can try out some stuff? And if it doesn't work, it doesn't really matter because it's not really part of the game. So it, it's only beneficial in my mind. So I'm a big fan of that. Conversely, there's a similar thing in Action 12 Cinema as well. <laughs> well, that, that cold open is... um. It was necessarily put in because of the genre that we're playing, but I I could see that working in other. And it's just a, it's just a prompt scenario, you know. So it's not you don't even have to be good on your feet. You just start asking questions. Yeah. Um, and you know, really, it's it's uh, it's something I should include in more games. I really like it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think it's it's a variable very valuable resource. So, um, in in addition to the consideration of making a very specific one shot adventure for a sample adventure, is there anything else that you think you might change or do differently for a future game that's going to include a sample adventure? And it's okay if the answer is no. I just want to give you give you time to say anything if you if you've thought of something. Yeah, I typically don't use adventures in my games again because I have these narrative focused games, which it, it, you can't really have adventures. You can have trappings and you can have assets, but, but there's no through line or storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think uh, the adventures in Temples and Tombs are pretty prescriptive, and that actually makes me a little uncomfortable. And I don't know if I was reacting to this, the system or not, but I, I would almost like uh, them to be less structured, mm. just so that there's more 
but again, that's my play style. So right. yeah, I don't know if I, I don't know. It, it's a little too fresh. Maybe <laughs> if I do another year zero game, I'll have more thoughts on it. Right, right. Yeah, again, in each you know each each game is its own consideration. Yours is very specific. Um, so again, I'm not necessarily trying to say you should know anything else. I'm just trying to give you an opportunity. So mm-hmm. I can't really think of anything else I specifically want to ask you for this prompt. Um, so I'll just kind of throw it again. So, you know, go check out Christopher Gray's work. Um, I'll put the links in the, in the show notes, but you have your own websites at Christopher Gray world or I can't remember. It's, what it's it. a, it's Christopher dot world. I have okay. all of the Christopher's. <laughs> You are legion. Yeah, the so Christopher World is sort of everything. Uh, Temples and Tombs again, Gallant Night Games. You can get a hard copy. I'll put links in there. And just in general, just send me anything you want linked. I'll throw it in the show notes. Make it easy for people to get to. Um, are you working on anything else you want to tease briefly here to someone who might be listening? <laughs> I do have several things going concurrently, and it's one of those things where they're sort of dueling banjos, so I don't know which one's going to pop first. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am working on um, an expansion of Highcaster, which is my fantasy RPG using my new caster system which caster is developed over a course of many games and it's it's my narrative first game but it uses polyhedrals which makes me very excited but i'm doing an expansion of that and i'm also doing um uh a uh a space opera game on the same system and they're sort of like competing so i don't know which one's going to come out first um and and i'm I'm looking at more year zero um i'm actually working on that now with gallant knight we want to do a whole line of year zero games so you'll see a lot more come on that system too all right. Well, very cool. So we'll look forward to that. And where can people follow you on Twitter if they want to get all the latest updates? Yeah, Gray Author with an E. Um, I should be on there more often than I am. So, but that's where I am the most, I think. All right. Well, once again, let me thank you for giving me your time today on this Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to you. Thank so. you. You too. Uh, and then I really appreciate you running your game for us. We all had a really good time. Unfortunately, the stream was still a little bit wonky, and I don't know if it's going to convert over to YouTube or not. My internet's terrible. My computer system's not that great, but the audio only version is is fine. I'm currently in the middle of editing it now. So people will get a chance to listen to that in the future. And then this will kind of get attached either as a separate episode or depending on where the breaks happen in that episode, I may just add it like as an addendum onto the end of the episode. We'll have to see, but it'll be out at some point in the future. Obviously I'll tag you when it comes out. So you'll know about it. So great. thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it. Best of luck, luck on all the new stuff that you're working on. And I'm sure we'll cross paths again in the future. And if you'd want to be a player at some point in some of our streaming adventures, just let me know. We'll see if we can get you in on something. Wow, playing. That's novel. I don't ever do that. (laughs) So uh, again, thank you again. And uh, as always, you can find me on Twitter at the RPG Academy. And uh, if remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. So thanks, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, 
invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.